0: Today, on The Lab Report, we talk about oxidative stress. What is it? Free radical damage. How do we measure it? 8-O-HDG. What do we do about vitamin it? Vitamin C. Wow, I guess this
1: episode's done then, huh?
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: <laughs> the world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease, Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Lab Report.
0: It's The Lab Report. It is. My name is Michael Chapman. And I'm Patty Devers. And we are here to talk about functional medicine Specialty lab testing as always, and we are both excited today.
1: Yeah, if you like our podcast, leave us a review, rate us, subscribe, send us an email, podcast at gdx.net.
0: I think you should say that more excited, because I said how excited we are, and you said, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm excited. So, what are we talking about today?
1: We were talking about oxidative stress today.
0: Yeah. I just did it. Yes. And
1: and just to kind of let the audience in on a little bit of what happens here, before we went on air, we were trying to think of what's an easy way to explain oxidative stress. We're trying to come up with a metaphor. And unfortunately, everyone, I'm sitting across from the worst metaphor maker in the history of the world. Yeah,
0: that's true. It's really bad. I don't know why you would even look at me (laughs) when you have the question. We we should come up with a metaphor and then you look at me as if you're going to get anything other than...
1: I don't know why... (laughs)
0: From this side of the table over here. And then the first thing I could think of was like, what about superheroes, you know, with a sidekick? Mm. When a superhero loses a sidekick, yeah. it becomes totally unstable and irrational.
1: No. Well...
0: Which I have no evidence of superheroes <laughs> ever doing that when they lose a sidekick. It's just the first thing that came to my mind, which goes oh. to show, I don't know why they have a microphone in front of my face.
1: <laughs> well, the good news is that aside from metaphors, you happen to be a genius in many other things including biochemistry. And Ah. so with that, Uh that's your saving grace here. Okay. Because what we're talking about is oxidative stress and free radicals. And so I think if we're going to define this, I'm sitting across from the correct person, though, if I need the metaphor, I may call Stephen Goldman in our medical affairs department, who happens to be the metaphor king.
0: He is like gold. He is so reliable when it comes to metaphors. He's always got a good one.
1: (laughs) Well, with that, let's Let's actually talk about oxidative stress. Yeah, let's do
0: that because I like oxidative stress. I mean, not in my body, but I like talking about it. I know.
1: For those of you who know Michael, in his office, he's got an entire wall with this huge biochemical pathway with all of this chemistry. It's almost like a beautiful mind. John Nash. Um, it's crazy in there.
0: It helps. It helps to know these pathways. I mean, it helps me. I don't know if you're, you know, not interested in biochemistry. No. It's probably not going to be very helpful. <laughs> it helps and, me
1: to know you because I could just ask you the questions that I have.
0: Okay, there go it for is. it.
1: No, in general, we're going to define what oxidative stress is, but I think we should back up. Okay, and maybe you can define for us what a free radical is, and by defining that, we can get into oxidative stress.
0: Sure. So free radicals are molecules essentially that have an electron missing. Is mm. is what it comes. So if you remember back to biochemistry class, you've got or um, even
1: eighth grade chemistry class, you've got <laughs> like even uh, further back.
0: Is that how about the I electrons? Maybe we different mm. school systems. We're <laughs> <in>. <laughs> but I so a free radical. If you remember, it, you've got this molecule and it's got a nucleus in the center, and then around that the electrons s- circle around in these orbitals. And a free radical essentially is missing one electron, which makes it really unstable. And so when you when it's unstable like that, it goes around searching to complete and grab that electron from anywhere it can. So what it ends up doing is it steals an a electron from a, a different molecule, which then that turns into a free radical, goes and steals a molecule. So it becomes this big cascade of just stealing electrons And ultimately, what ends up taking the brunt of this is the larger proteins, fats in your system, they end up getting damaged by these free radicals that are circulating and stealing electrons and and, and damaging these, these proteins and fats and other larger molecules. And that's oxidative stress. That is oxidative stress. And what happens is when the body starts recognizing these damaged proteins, these damaged fats, it actually recognizes it in, in some ways as being foreign. And it starts creating inflammation to deal with this oxidative stress damage. And that's kind of a very simple way of understanding oxidative stress. Hopefully that was simple. It wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> it wasn't a metaphor, but hopefully that helps you know, give you a larger... So it, it becomes about free radicals. And limiting free radicals in the system.
1: I think an important point, however, is that electrons are transferred and released all the time in your body. There is some bit of this oxidation, aerobic metabolism happening. And the good news is that your body inherently has a way to counter that with antioxidants. And so when we talk about oxidative stress, it's really when that balance, when the Damage outweighs your ability to counter it with antioxidants.
0: Yeah, yeah. Essentially, your body intentionally does make some free radicals to help fight infection and and do other things in the body. So it's not an all-bad situation. It's about, as you were saying, the balance between reduced molecules and oxidized molecules. And antioxidants help by decreasing the load of free radicals and increasing the amount of reduced atoms and molecules and, and proteins and such in the system so they tend to repair so that's but it, it's it's a balance as you were saying and that's why they call it redox the redox balance the balance between reduced forms of things and oxidized forms of things
1: so what are some of the things that serve as antioxidants by you know countering that free electron and that radical yeah. molecule what are some of the things that we use as antioxidants?
0: There's a lot. The A couple of the main endogenous players are vitamin C and glutathione. There's also alpha-lipoic acid, vitamin A and vitamin E to a certain extent are antioxidants. Even CoQ10 is an antioxidant. Those are all endogenous antioxidants. And there's also things that you can get through your diet that are antioxidants as well. So there we think about things like green tea, some of the constituents in green tea. We think about coercetin and curcumin, turmeric, and there's there's a, a whole boatload of them out there. All your polyphenols, polyphenols your berries, your cherries, mm-hmm. those are very, very high in antioxidants. So there's a lot of things you can also do from a dietary perspective to increase your antioxidants. That's
1: a great point. And with that, some of the precursors to make some of these antioxidants are important nutrients too. So amino acids are needed to make glutathione. Yep. So it all comes back to your diet. Let's talk a little bit about what are the things that cause you to form free radicals?
0: Yeah. Well, free radicals can be naturally encountered. So you think about the ingestion or just absorption of pollutants in, mm. in the atmosphere, in the water, you know, these sort of, uh, all these chemicals. Like cigarette
1: smoke or pollution sure. in general. Sure,
0: all these chemicals that we're encountering on a regular daily basis that, you know, we're almost bathed in to be a little dramatic about it. But we have a lot of free radical exposure, just as car exhaust, right? Mm-hmm. Just just by walking around and living on a day-to-day basis.
1: Also things like sugar, high processed foods, some of the things we eat can also cause oxidative damage.
0: Yep, And also, our body is constantly making them through the electron transport chain and through the processes in the mitochondria. There's a certain amount of balance that's always occurring where we're exchanging electrons in the electron transport chain. We're also making free radicals in the process of doing that. Those all have to be mitigated by the endogenous antioxidants that are there, like glutathione and CoQ10. So, you know, it's also just a part of normal physiologic and biochemical processes.
1: Like... How about simple things? Like even exercise in and of itself is an oxidative stress. Sure. Right? So it's that whole concept that your body does make free radicals and balances it. Yeah. Not all of it has to be a pollutant. It could be just the concept of exercise yeah. is a stressor. Or growing if you're a child and you're growing. That's an oxidative stressor. But again, it's that it's the concept of you need some of that clearly, and your body has an ability to deal with it. And so when your ability to counteract it is less than your stressors, this is the problem.
0: I think another important point that I like to make is that it can sometimes become very depressing when we think about all the free radicals that that we may be encountering especially from an environmental medicine standpoint from the standpoint of all these environmental toxicity toxins that we are exposed to people are like how do you avoid all of it and i do like to make the point that you're as you said the body's very very well equipped to handle a lot but you have to give it the right tools you have to increase your, your dietary intake of antioxidants, or at least you need to have a good intake of that. You have to make sure you're getting adequate digestion of amino acids, cofactors and minerals to make glutathione. So, you know, your, your body's really good at taking care of these things. It's got a liver, which is awesome, which is really, really efficient, but it needs the tools. Right. Right.
1: And because we know that this oxidative stress and this imbalance can contribute to aging and many diseases. And there's a lot of significant clinical associations with high oxidative stress, right? Chronic disease in general.
0: Sure. Most of the literature, you know, you can link oxidative stress to mitochondrial dysfunction. You can link oxidative stress to inflammation. Mm -hmm. You can link it to cardiovascular disease risk. You can link it to just about every chronic condition. And when it comes down to it, it's, it's a dysfunction that is closely tied to the aging process in general.
1: Right. And it might be important to be able to measure this to see if you have ongoing oxidative stress and counter that with supplements and medication. So what are some ways we look to measure oxidative stress?
0: So when you're thinking about trying to evaluate a level of oxidative stress, there's you, you kind of want to look at all the players in the game. And some of the players that you you might be looking at is, you know, your your home team which is here we go.
1: Here we go folks. <laughs> Hold on to your seats. There's a good metaphor
0: coming here. Your home team, which is, you know, the the players that you support. So, you can measure <laughs> glutathione, you can get an assessment of vitamin C, you can measure coq10 levels, like you can measure SOD enzyme, which is another detoxification enzyme. And these this is your home team, right? These are the guys you that you You mean
1: superoxide dismutase. Super
0: SOD, thank oh, yeah. you. Superoxide dismutase. So, that can tell you about your capacity, your overall status and capacity of antioxidants in the system. Then you can look at the away team, the bad guys. Wow. By measuring free radicals, this is really challenging because by trying to measure free radicals, by nature they're very unstable. So it's it's really difficult to measure things like nitric oxide directly or, you know, hydrogen peroxide directly. So we don't do that. What we do is we're looking for the evidence of the the end damage of the free radicals so by that we're looking at proteins dna fats that have been damaged and there's a couple different things that biomarkers that uh, that point to that there's lipid peroxides which is in the literature also referred to as t-bars a lot and lipid peroxides are oxidative stress damage to fats Right? So, and that could be several different kinds of fats that could be dietary fats that you're ingesting, that could be cellular fats or or cell membrane lipids that have been damaged. That's essentially what we're looking at for lipid peroxides. And then there's 8OHdG, 8-hydroxydeoxyguanosine. Fancy. And this is essentially a free radical indicator of DNA damage. It's a biomarker of DNA damage. So free radicals, when they start attacking DNA and damage it, they take this confirmation of to hdg and higher levels of that then point to DNA damage. And and those are some of the, the end products that you don't want to have at high levels. Right. The away team. <laughs> See, it wasn't terrible. Mm, I'm getting better.
1: Wasn't your worst.
0: <laughs> <But> yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant. That's what I meant.
1: But like you said, we measure... We directly measure things like glutathione and some of the precursors and some of those enzymes that are needed to make glutathione and some of the things that are helpful. Yeah. You know, the home team, as (laughs) you describe it. And from those measurements, we can make recommendations around antioxidant support, precursors, amino acids, cofactors like zinc and magnesium and B6.
0: and. You're saying, those specifically zinc, magnesium, B6, because those are cofactors in the production of glutathione. Mm-hmm. Um, glutathione
1: is made up of three amino acids. Yes. Cysteine, glycine. Glutamic glut- acid. Glutamic acid.
0: And so that's that's one particular pathway that you can support by doing amino acid support, ensuring adequate intake of those amino acids, and then ensuring adequate cofactors, the magnesium, the B6, and the zinc. That supports the glutathione pathway. But there's other pathways out there, like we were talking about SOD. SOD is another enzyme that's challenging because you can't just take that directly. It's... at least from every all the research i've seen is trying to supplement with sod it's a very unstable molecule that has very low bioavailability
1: can you explain what sod does
0: sod also absorbs free radicals it it absorbs free radicals and then i believe it transports that free radical to hydrogen peroxide and then glutathione then absorbs the hydrogen the free radical from hydrogen peroxide and turns it into water it neutralizes it finally nice Yeah. I believe that's how that pathway works. But one other thing to know, too, is when you're measuring these levels of antioxidants, sure, you want to make sure that you have adequate status of superoxide dismutase, SOD, glutathione. It's good to have adequate levels, but these pathways are, they respond to oxidative stress. When, and by that I mean, if you have increased levels, the body's going to say, oh, we've got more oxidative stress, we need to make more of these molecules. So really, really high levels of, say, glutathione also makes me a little suspicious because it, it assumes that there might be need for that degree of, of antioxidant support. So even when I see really high levels of SOD or glutathione, I still might be investigating whether this is somebody who's producing a lot of free radicals. And if so, do I know why?
1: I'm not sure there's a lot of literature though around the high levels of glutathione and clinical associations. Is there?
0: There's not a lot of literature on high levels of glutathione and clinical symptoms or clinical conditions. However, from the biochemistry, we know that free radicals activate these enzymes. They activate the enzyme Cystothionine beta synthase, which is the one of the main links, key links in the chain for glutathione production. So you can see from the biochemistry that free radicals, that the body has adapted to automatically induce the production or the pathways for the production of these antioxidants, which makes sense. It's the body's sort of way to fight back.
1: Well, this brings up another interesting topic that you and I debate, and actually in medical affairs, we talk about this all the time, where someone will have a very low level of glutathione on the nutrival for example. Uh-huh. We have the discussions around you know oxidative stressors and the needs to support glutathione, but the concept that comes up a lot, Michael, and you hear this on the phone a lot as well, where people say, oh, they've burned through their glutathione yeah. as a cause for their level to be low. So we talked about how, how high, a high level doesn't have a lot of associations. Low glutathione is important and is associated with a lot of things, but that concept of quote-unquote burning through it.
0: Right. Yeah, this is something I, I, I like to clear up because I think there is some misconception there in that p- people think that if there's a lot of free radical damage, it sort of eats away and erodes at people's glutathione levels. And the truth is it doesn't really work that way, at least as far as how we're measuring and testing glutathione. When glutathione absorbs a free radical, it turns into oxidized glutathione. It's still glutathione. And if you're measuring on a test, like the NutriVal glutathione, Mm -hmm. what you're measuring is total. You're measuring both oxidized and reduced glutathione. So even if there's a lot of free radical damage to glutathione, or glutathione is absorbing a lot of free radicals, it's doing its job essentially, it doesn't lower the glutathione level because it's just going to contribute to oxidized glutathione, which is part of that total glutathione measurement.
1: That's so important because this comes up a lot on the
0: phone. Yeah, people will say, oh, this person must have a lot of free radical damage because they've got low glutathione. And, And actually that's not really accurate. Right. And one of the things I wonder is because we talked about free radicals inducing glutathione levels, I I wonder as to whether low levels of glutathione, whether it's possible and I I don't know this this is all this is kind of speculation at this point, but whether it's possible that low levels of glutathione either indicate a deficiency in the the, the cofactors, a deficiency in the precursors, but could it also in in some people be a fact that there's not a lot of oxidative stress burden, so that pathway is not upregulated at the moment. It's, it's theoretical. Hard to, I mean, yeah, it's hard to know possible. which of those things could be a, causing low glutathione. I think it's still, at the end of the day, a cause for concern and maybe desire to support because you do want to make sure you have adequate levels of glutathione.
1: And so with that, so if, if someone has a low level of glutathione, the recommendation's are going to be around supporting the precursors, right? The amino acids, yeah. those vitamin, mineral cofactors, and some people supplement glutathione. There's a lot of different ways to actually supplement with right. glutathione. Right. It's a very common supplement.
0: Yeah. The concern with supplementation around glutathione is always that oral glutathione has a low bioavailability, meaning it doesn't get into the system in its intact form and doesn't really turn into glutathione that's usable when it's digested. So to counteract that, a lot of companies produce what's called a liposomal glutathione, means it's been sort of emulsified and it's in a fat form. And the way to, to take that actually is some clinicians will recommend holding that liposomal glutathione in the mouth mm-hmm. for a period of time, mm-hmm. 30 to 60 seconds. So they're getting oral absorption of that glutathione and not going through first pass liver effect. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Another way is if people who are doing IV medicine, there's some clinicians out there that do IV glutathione. If you're doing that, certainly you want to be well-trained in, in how to do that. Or as you said, the trying to increase systemic glutathione by, by supporting the cofactors. And a lot of times people will use NAC, NAC or N-acetylcysteine as that's one of the main precursors sometimes called the rate limiting step for glutathione production.
1: Interesting. So something we hear also is when people lose a significant amount of weight, mm-hmm. right? There are toxins that are stored in adipose tissue.
0: Yeah, fat-soluble toxins are stored right. in, in the, the fat cells.
1: Right. So not only is exercise an oxidative stressor, but the actual weight loss itself and the release of those stored toxins can also contribute to further oxidative stress. Yes. Right.
0: And that would be one way, another reason or another opportunity to support your, your antioxidants. Right. Especially if people are going through a bit of a, a change in their lifestyle and they're, you know, we've got the new year coming up or at this point, the new year has come and passed and, you know, they're they're on a mission to lose weight, get into better health. And you want to make sure that if they are, you know, exercising and that, you know, they're probably going to be losing a lot of fat mass, then you want to support, especially with their antioxidants, just for helping support the exercise regimen, but also the, the stored toxins that are going to be released into the system and probably will make them not feel so well at first.
1: And I'll tell you, this is why the Nutrivel is such a good tool in the sense that it has a very comprehensive nutritional assessment. However, there's also markers of oxidative stress and with that various exposures that you can measure, but you're also going to be able to measure directly some of those precursors. Right? right? The amino acids and yeah. get a sense for their vitamin status. So the Nutrivo kind of Answers a lot of these questions for you.
0: It really covers most of the bases on that because you're measuring directly glutathione, CoQ10, you're measuring directly the lipid peroxides and the eight oh H D G that we mentioned are oxidative damage markers, and you're looking at the amino acid precursors that can contribute or or, or create glutathione, as well as get us an assessment of the cofactors like B6, zinc, magnesium that are important in in supporting all those pathways. Pretty comprehensive, as far as looking at oxidative stress
1: it is and it, and actually it will also help to evaluate some exposures to various toxins and heavy metals that may also be contributing while you're also getting that full assessment
0: yeah when and that actually takes us to question of the day. I can't believe we've been talking all this time, It's is really exciting topic, so we, yeah well, we well let's got get to the question to of the day
1: then because okay. I think this is a okay. good
0: question okay, let's do it uh oh.
1: Of the day. Hmm. Yeah, it's starting to grow on me, actually. Yeah. I'm well, hating it less and less At least you know what's coming. Right. That might be it. I've prepared myself.
0: Well, no, I mean, you know, the question of the day is coming.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought you meant I knew that the the, insult, the audio insults was coming.
0: Uh, I'm gonna ignore that.
1: So, so I've stealed myself. So I do
0: have the question of the day for okay. you today. The question of the day is when looking at heavy metals and mm. trying to assess heavy metals in a patient, is it better to go with a a urine test or a blood test?
1: Very common question that we get in medical affairs. And it does tie in somewhat to oxidative stress because, you know, any type of toxic exposure can increase your oxidative stress. Yeah, it can right? cause
0: oxidative stress.
1: With that, when you're looking at testing for any type of heavy metal, we're looking in the urine or the blood for exposures. These aren't tests that will tell you your overall body burden. So first and foremost, we're putting that out there without a provoking agent or chelation, you're not going to know body burden. This is just exposure. Exposure. Exposure testing.
0: Not body burden. That's right. Okay.
1: And number two that you need to know is that it depends on the time frame of exposure you're looking to measure. So if you do a urinary test, it's a fairly recent exposure that you're going to capture some say twenty-four to forty-eight hours. It's pretty recent exposure. Okay. If you're looking at blood, it you know you think about what's in whole blood, right? Serum, red cells, white cells. So in the blood, if there's a level of exposure, it can be anywhere from the day you got the blood drawn to the life of a red blood cell, which is ninety to one hundred and twenty days. So it's a bit longer look Kay.
0: exposure. Okay.
1: The third thing you need to know before you order testing is what are you what are you suspecting, right? You're going to f- pick a test that hasn't analyte that you're suspecting,
0: Uh, right? Okay.
1: Like on the NutraVal, we pick the top heavy hitters. It's like arsenic and lead and mercury. But if there's something more specific, you want to make sure that the test you're about to order has something that the person may have been exposed to.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I would just add to that is that if you are trying to get a little bit of an assessment around body burden, the most common thing that clinicians will do is do a a urine test as a baseline, and then they'll introduce a provocation agent to provoke metals out of the tissues. And then they'll do a repeat urine test. And so that they can compare this provoked test against the baseline test. Mm -hmm. And that's really commonly used out there, more common in people who, you know, have been doing this and are trained a little bit more in heavy metals and detoxification from heavy metals. So, if you want more insight into that, I would recommend, you know, doing more training with groups like Institute for Functional Medicine and other integrative groups that are specialized in this. Agree. Cool. So, we've done that.
1: We have.
0: And I think it's time for a new segment.
1: Ooh, what kind? Which means
0: I get to think about what kind of... Oh, no. no. Maybe. So <laughs> this one is going to focus on what a particular biomarker means its clinical relevance. Mm-hmm. And we're going to call it Better Know a Biomarker. I
1: love it. Well, because we're going to try to better know a biomarker and we're in the topic of oxidative stress, I think an interesting biomarker that confuses a lot of people is pyroglutamic acid because it's really, it's kind of a precursor and a product at the same time. So I was hoping you can help us to better know the biomarker pyroglutamic acid.
0: Yeah. I love pyroglutamic acid. It's really weird. It's on organic acid testing. It's on our organics tests, our MAP tests. It's also, because the MAP test is included in the NutriVal. It's on the Nutrival. And pyroglutamic acid is, I think, most commonly referred to as a precursor to glutathione, which is true, but it's kind of the half truth. Glutathione has a very interesting kind of pathway of, of the way that it works. And a lot of glutathione is produced in the liver. And but it, it doesn't, it's not transported in the blood as glutathione. So it has to go through this exchange with an amino acid group. And this is what's called the gamma gluta- glutamyl cycle or gamma glutamyl cycle, however you want to say it. And what it does is the amino makes it a little bit more water soluble so that it can be transported in the blood. And then from there, it enters the cell. And the cell kind of breaks it back down into glutamic acid which then requires another round of cysteine and glycine to turn back into glutathione within the cell so It's kind of this interesting little circular cycle. And there's some good literature that suggests pyroglutamic acid is a good biomarker actually for glycine status. Even though we think of cysteine as being one of the rate-limiting steps in glutathione production, it seems that this relationship might be even more specific to glycine. And they actually corroborated that with people who were glycine deficient in their diet and then glycine replete. Their pyroglutamic acid levels changed based on their glycine status. So I I think of it as a little bit of an indicator around a backup in the pathway that's leading to glutathione production within the cell and a backup that in some cases makes me look to the amino acid page and see where the glycine is if this marker is elevated.
1: So on the NutraVal, we're measuring pyroglutamic acid in the urine as part of organic acids, and we're also directly measuring Glutathione. So, is there any correlation you can make between levels of glutathione and pyroglutamic acid?
0: I mean, correlation, what I tend to do is I'm looking for their relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. So, if pyroglutamic acid is elevated, then I flip to the last page of the NutriVal and look at the glutathione. If I see both of those are high, then it kind of goes back to that conversation we were having earlier, suggesting is something elevating the need for antioxidants in the system because both the precursor and the end product are are upregulated, it seems. If pyroglutamic acid is high and glutathione is low, to me, that's more of an indication for needs for precursors, like we just talked about cysteine and maybe particularly glycine. You could also think about the cofactors that are needed there, B6, magnesium, and zinc. Cool. Yeah, and that's...
1: I think we better know a biomarker now. That's
0: better know a biomarker. Hope you know more about pyroglutamic acid. Yep. Patty, hit it.
1: The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued and used as medical advice or diagnostically.
0: Wow, that was very soothing.
1: Mm.
0: Hey, what are we going to talk about next time? Ooh, I haven't thought about that. Well, you better start thinking about it because that music is coming up quick. Uh Uh-oh. Next time on the lab report... We're going to talk about science-ness, technicology, and machine mechanics.
1: I've been dying for that segment. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about some methodologies around GI testing. It's I'm excited. going to be fun.
1: You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Michael, why are you staring blankly at the ceiling?
0: Because I'm trying to think of a metaphor.
1: We don't have all day. Let's just call Steven, man.
0: Oh. No, hold on. Yeah, no. What about superheroes? Let's scrap the metaphor idea. What about basketball? Why? baseball
1: ceramics like you just ran now you're just randomly shouting out words that make no sense
0: birthday candles
1: just start the episode.